have several scriptures this morning. You can follow along with me in the Word uh, or hopefully on the screens. But I want, I want to begin with a passage of scripture that, uh, that I didn't give them in the, the technology booth this morning. It's a, it's a scripture that, that uh, leans to the topic of the faith for new beginnings. In, in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, If you have faith, the grain, the size of a, of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and it will get up and be moved. And then you can say, He said, Because nothing will be impossible to you. And He uses a mustard seed. I have some mustard seeds in my pocket. And here in a little while, they're going to bless you with some mustard seeds. They're probably in this little... Uh, bag, probably 300 mustard seeds in this one little bag because a mustard seed is three millimeters. It's one of the smallest seeds in the world. A mustard seed is a leaf uh, edible type plant, just like greens or things of that nature. It's a leafed vegetable somewhat you can eat, but it is the smallest seed there is available. And Jesus picked that seed to let people know you don't have to have the capacity for the greatest faith to believe God for a new beginning in your life, if only you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, because nothing will be impossible with you. Now, today before we leave, our service hosts are going to serve every one of you with one of these little manila envelopes so that you can walk out of here with a mustard seed. And one of the things I want you to do, at the end of our day today, we're going to leave and go our way. I'm going to teach to you about new beginnings. But in my mind, there is nothing that symbolizes a new beginning or the transition process in life any more than the way God created a seed. You see, a seed has to be buried. And if you look and study science, the germination process, a seed falls into the ground and then it dies. The potential in a seed is always to produce more life than what's in it itself. But the seed, in some ways, is alive. And when you place it in the ground, the seed has to die in order for the potential on the inside of that seed to produce a life. And so many times we see that life come up in a sprout or a bulb, but we don't realize the new beginning in that seed started underneath the surface before we could ever see it. It's a physical illustration of a new beginning or the transitions that we've been talking about in zones, neutral zones, and new beginnings. And I want to challenge you this morning, if God speaks to your heart, maybe these are just physical symbols. Service host, if you will, go ahead and serve them. Go ahead and be passing these out. There's one for every person here this morning. I I want you to, if if, if there is a, a new beginning in your life, or God does something special in your life this morning, or He has been over the last few weeks, I want you to find some place, whether you take a styrofoam cup and fill it with potting soil, or whether you find some place in your yard off to the side, plant these mustard seeds. They come up rather quickly. And I want every time you look at them for it to be a symbol of this new beginning that God is starting in your life. I want to say more about that in just a moment. For those of you that have been with us, or maybe you've just joined us and you've heard a lot of talk about ostriches, you wonder, why are y'all talking about ostriches and transitions in church? It's, a, it's hard to believe that life is so comparable to an ostrich But the scripture speaks of ostriches on more than one occasion. In Job chapter 39, Job has had everything in life together. But he loses it all. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. His children die. He loses his family. Life is so bad that his wife tells him to curse God and die. And yet when God is speaking to Job to give Job hope in the midst of this situation he's in... This is what the Lord says about the ostrich. He says, The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare to the pinions and feathers of the stork. 
she lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. Listen to this. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain. For God did not endow her with wisdom or give her her share of good sense. This is what the Bible says about the ostrich. And then verse 18. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. I mean, God says that I created this ostrich and I didn't really give her all that many cents. But when she spreads her wings, she can outrun a horse and a rider. And that is true. An ostrich is one of the fastest land animals on the planet. So ostriches in some ways are much like life. They're much like transitions. If you've ever been around an ostrich, they stink. If you've ever looked closely at an ostrich, they're very awkward. If you've ever known much or studied with us much about an ostrich, you'll find out that an ostrich, we were going to have an ostrich here the Sunday after Easter. We're known to parade exotic animals through here for sermon series. We've had lions, we've had elephants, and we were going to have an ostrich. But the, 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 the animal trainer told us that the ostrich was more dangerous than an elephant or a lion, and I just couldn't get that. I just couldn't process that in my head. And he said, because people think an ostrich is just a silly bird, but the hind kick of an ostrich can literally kill a lion, and people come up and start messing with this ostrich, and because this is the season that is mating season for ostriches, we didn't have an ostrich here this year. Ostriches are, are vicious, they are mean, they stink, they're awkward, they're ugly, and they're dangerous. That's a lot like transitions, whether you're an empty nester or someone close to you just recently died or you lost your job or you've had a new baby or you just got married or you just came to faith in Christ. Life is comprised of constant transition. It will never stay the same. And how you manage your transitions in life will determine the difference between sanity and insanity. And the Bible has a lot to say about how to effectively manage transitions. We've been talking about the difference between change and transition. Change is the event. If you come and commit your life to Jesus Christ, the day you pray that prayer and give your life to Christ, whether you did it around the front of this church or some other church or kneeling by your bed at night, that is the change. The transition is the adjustment to that change. If you got laid off, the day they gave you the pink slip was the change. But adjusting to being unemployed is the season of transition. People don't have an issue with change. They have an issue with transition. The transition is what destroys people's lives, people's marriages, people's churches. And God wants to give us wisdom to know how to manage transition. Through the influence of psychologist William Bridges, we have walked through the various stages of transitions. We have talked about end zones. We have talked about neutral zones. And we have talked about new beginnings. Today we're going to talk about new beginnings. The end zone is the time when whatever happens, that change event kickstarts a death of something. The death of your job, the death of your uh, a family member, the death of something in your life. You move away from all that's familiar to you. You change cities. And there is a loss of identity, a loss of reality, and it begins a season of transition in your life. That's the end zone. But the neutral zone is much more difficult because that is the in-between time. You're not who and where you were, but you're not yet who and where you're going. You're in this chaotic, in-between state of confusion. The neutral zone is what destroys people because they're in this chaos. We're, we're, we're closed in with confusion and we cannot find our way. We can't go back and we can't seem to go forward. 
But we talked a lot last week about neutral zones. And if you find yourself in one of them, you need to download that podcast, get that CD, watch it, the video or, or audio, and learn about how God miraculously and powerfully works in the middle of our neutral zones. The last phase of transition is new beginnings. New beginnings are the point in your life where you begin to grow familiar and accept what you're going through. You may not like what you're going through, but you begin to understand, I can't go back and get my job. The divorce is final and, 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 and we're probably not going to get back together. These are moments when you start looking more into the opportunities of the future than you are the regrets of the past. There may not be a significant change in your circumstance as you come into a new beginning, but your attitude about your situation, your attitude about your new identity begins to shift and you come to a point of acceptance and you start identifying with the situation you're in. The boundary between this chaotic neutral zone and the season of new beginnings is not always definite or clear. The new phase doesn't go on like a light bulb and then we flip the switch. That's what we would like to happen. I wish the line between the neutral zone was very clear and you stepped out of the chaos into your new beginning and all of a sudden everything is just perfect. Whether it's the loss of a spouse or a job or you move to a new city or the birth of a baby or even becoming a new Christian. The overlap between the neutral zone and the new beginning is often very unclear. You just cannot see exactly. I mean, you have people who come to faith in Christ out of the confusion and chaos of their sin, out of the confusion and chaos of their addiction. They make that moment where they profess faith in Christ. They step over that line. But even Paul said to the Corinthian church, they were living in, they, they had confessed faith in Christ, but their life had not yet completely merged into a Christ-like life. Paul called them saints, not because they really were saints. If you study the Corinthian church, you'll find out these people were immoral wine-bibbers who were coming to the communion table drunk. And Paul said to these people, he called them saints. And every time I read saints in Corinthians, I laugh. It gives me hope because it look, I look out at people and I see what they are. And I'm thinking, God, I'm going to be like Paul. I'm going to call them saints in faith as Paul did the Corinthian church. Because the line between the neutral zone and the new beginning is not always as clear as we would like it to be. You see, a new beginning is somewhat like a rebirth. And, and just like some of us uh, know it happens in physical birth, when we're in the neutral zone and we're about to go into that new beginning, that rebirth, we want a psychological or spiritual obstetrician to pull us out of the womb of the neutral zone, cut the umbilical cord, slap us on the backside, and bring us to life. But natural birth nor spiritual birth or walking into new beginnings. They are not mechanics. They are not machines. It's not that scientific. It is a feeling process. It is an intangible process. And it is a process that you may not even know when you come to a new beginning until you spend a little bit of time there and you look back and realize, wow, God really was working in the last few weeks and I didn't even know it, bringing me into a new process in my life. Here's something that's amazing to me. When God wanted to give the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, He wanted to reveal His law to them. He did not wait until they got to the Promised Land. He gave them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in the pinnacle of their neutral zone. 
They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They walked across the Red Sea. That was the beginning of the end of slavery for them. That was the end zone. They came into their neutral zone. That was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they eventually crossed the River Jordan and went into their promised land. It's an amazing biblical illustration of transition, of organizational transition, of personal transition. They left Egypt. They came into their neutral zone in the wilderness for 40 years. It to me is an act of grace that God would give Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in the neutral zone. See, the new beginning for Israel didn't start when they crossed the River Jordan. Part of that new beginning came when God revealed Himself to Moses in a new way. So there is some overlap between the neutral zone and the new beginning. And some of you are walking through that process. You may not have a definitive line. Let me give you some practical insight on how to successfully transition through your wilderness, your neutral zone, into your new beginning. Number one, you need to understand the purpose. When I understand that God is in control of the situations in my life and that He has promised not to waste my pain, I can endure almost anything that I'm going through. When I feel like what I'm going through is wasted, When I feel like the pain, there is no redemptive value to my suffering. I look back on my past. I was abandoned by my father, abused by another man that was connected to my family. I had a a horrific past in my life. And at the time, I, I had a very confused, painful childhood. One of the ways I've been able to deal with the pain of my past is because I have seen how my pain, God has redeemed my pain, and allowed the pain of my past to be used to help me to minister to other people. It's almost like a passport. When I walk into a place and I've got a suit on or or I'm well dressed and I have a title above my name, there are people that automatically, I try to go as long as I can in a conversation on an airplane without anybody knowing what I do. Because the minute they find out I'm a pastor, it's almost as I've lost access to their life. But if somehow I can begin a conversation with them to let them know I grew up in the middle of southern poverty that my life was destroyed by a dysfunctional family and the life of, of genuine pain. I, it, it, it's in that moment that my pain becomes a passport into those people's lives. They're willing to listen to me. They're willing to talk to me. They're willing to ask me questions. And I've looked in my life at how God has redeemed my pain for His purposes to help other people mature and grow in life. Every situation like that is true because the Scripture says, and we have a core value here at North Place Church, it is called ceaseless celebration. And it is based on Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What works for good? All things. Everything. I know you may not realize the loss of your job or your husband walking out on you or the death of your family member. You may not see how in the world could God redeem this. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know how He's going to redeem this. But this I know. The Bible tells me so that God works good in all things. I cannot explain how it's going to be turned around in your life. But I can tell you there will come a day when you will look back and you will say, oh, now I see 
how God is working in that situation in my life, you have to understand the purpose. When you understand that God is in control and He has promised not to waste my pain. That was the whole conversation between Job and God and the conversation about the ostrich. Job had lost it all and he's, he's, he's struggling in that moment in his life. And God is saying to him, Job, I'm in control of creation. I mean, look at the ostrich. She doesn't even have that much sense. But when she puts her mind to it, she can outrun a horse. His whole point is, you didn't create the ostrich. You didn't create the horse. You didn't create creation. I was in control of that. I'm in control of your situation. Trust me through the awkward moments in your life. If you understand there is a purpose that God can redeem your pain and that all things work together for good, you can make it to your new beginning. Understand the purpose. Number two, you have to see the picture. You got to have a vision of your preferred future. You got to see with eyes of faith and hope. And sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to do when you're in the middle of the chaotic neutral zone. But in order to get to your new beginning, you've got to see a picture of your preferred future. Throughout the wilderness journey, Moses stirred the faith of the people that followed him by talking about a land that flows with milk and honey. Before they ever got there, they were a long ways from getting into their promised land. But the images of a land flowing with milk and honey were embedded into their minds. When hardships came, when doubts came, they had this image of their preferred future in their head. I'm going to Canaan's land. I'm going to the promised land. A land that flows with milk and honey. He showed these people images of faith regarding the promised land even though they couldn't see it and they couldn't touch it yet. You have to be able to see the picture of your preferred future. See a day in your heart. Believe God for a day in your heart when you will be employed again. When your family will be restored again. When you will be whole again. See those moments in your heart and get a picture. Find a passage of Scripture that paints that picture by faith and stand upon the promises of the Word of God. My grandfather used to sing a hymn. Growing up in church, I'm standing on the promises of God my Savior. Stand on His Word. You've got to see a picture of your preferred future. In that context, I often have said these things. You have to see it, say it, and then seize it. See it. Well, this is what I mean. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not yet seen. The natural eye sees what is real around you. And it may not be very good. But the eyes of faith see what nobody else can see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that are not yet seen. If you want to get to your new beginning, you need to see it with faith. You may be the only person around you that can see it. Job's friends told him it wasn't going to happen, but he saw what they didn't see. Say it. Romans 4, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 tells us promises come by faith. And verse 17 says, call the things that are not as though they were. There are times in my life I confess things in my heart through faith that are not reality yet, believing that I'm inching my life towards a new beginning because I can see it 
what nobody else sees in my eyes of faith and I'm believing it enough to say it with my mouth saying the things that are not as though they were. I, I pray over my family members for a day they are healed or whole or, or the addicts in my family that are set free. And I, I, I say that, God, I'm, I'm believing for a day when so-and-so is set free and I, I speak those words, I see it, I say it and then you have to seize it. How many times in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that I read, um, in Hebrews 11, I, I didn't write, I have the scripture put up there this morning because it's the whole chapter. But if you read through the whole chapter, you find again and again, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, uh, Abraham dwelt in the land of the promise in a foreign country. By faith, Sarah conceived a child in old age. I mean, you go all the way through. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention. I mean, you go through the Scripture, verse 29. By faith, Moses passed through the Red Sea onto dry land. All of it is seized by faith. You have to see it, say it, and seize it by faith in order to move into your new beginning. You have to, have, you have to understand the purpose. You have to see the picture. Thirdly, you have to have a plan. A plan is... This simply means an awareness or a strategy. The fact that you're listening to what we're saying throughout this series on transitions is, is a plan in itself. So many people go through life and don't really realize life is one big transition. They let things happen to them. And, and they, they form their attitudes and their opinions of life just meandering along and, and they're being beat up and destroyed and they really don't have a plan. They don't have a strategy. They don't have a guide at how to live their life. This word is a road map for me. And when I live by this road map, it is a plan for me to navigate these insane moments in life. You have to have a plan, a strategy. Number four, you've got to do your part. Purpose, a picture, a plan. You gotta do your part. See, every miracle of scripture was set in motion by an act of obedience. Whether it's the withered man who stretched forth his hand, Jesus said to the lame man, take up your mat and walk. He told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He told the lepers in the book of Luke to go show themselves to the priest. Every miracle hinged upon their obedience. In the Old Testament, the widow woman had to go gather her pots and bring them back. Her act of obedience set her miracle in motion. In the Old Testament, the leper had to go dip in the river seven times. His act of obedience set his miracle in motion. If you want to step into your new beginning, you have to do your part. I read this quote this week. You don't have to wait for someone to bring you flowers, plant your own garden. Everybody's in the neutral zone waiting on somebody else. We're waiting on that spiritual obstetrician to slap us on the backside and bring us to life. Man, I hope Oprah says something today. I hope Dr. Phil says something today. We're looking for some spiritual obstetrician or psychological obstetrician to slap us on the backside and get us into the next new beginning or we're waiting on God to come bail us out. And God says, you set your own miracle in motion. When it was time to remove Lazarus from the grave, He didn't come down and raise Lazarus. The first thing He said to them, move the stone. You move the stone. You can't raise him from the dead, but you can set it in motion. You move the stone. So many of us are sitting around waiting on flowers, and what we need to do is take our seeds and plant our own garden. Do your part. 
The greatest illustration of a new beginning is probably spiritual rebirth, salvation, coming to Christ, being born again, going from death to life. Somebody who has eternity without God, all of a sudden in a moment of God's grace, has eternity forever with God. It's an amazing story of the grace. Jesus illustrated this in John 12 when He said, The hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, He's speaking about the process of a seed transitioning from burial to death to resurrection or new life. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. But the man who hates his life, when he's saying that, is willing to be in a life of self-denial, then he will have eternal life. Paul talked about that power of God, of grace, to change a new life. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love this passage because it's the one I cling to when I go back to that hometown and it reminds me of my past. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has gone and new has come. Today, these water tanks are watery graves. They're symbols of baptism. They are people that are going in like a seed that are being buried. The old life, the old man, the old woman is being buried in this tank and they are being resurrected to new life in Christ Jesus. That has happened in their life already. When they committed faith in Christ, they died to themselves, became alive in Christ. Today is a living illustration of a watery grave where someone will go in as one person like a snake shedding its skin and they will come out of the water symbolically a new being in Christ Jesus there is no greater illustration of a new beginning than that listen to this promise in the word Romans 6 what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means Paul said we died to sin how can we live any longer Don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ were baptized into His death? Listen to this. This is what's about to happen here. Verse 4, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. What's about to happen on this platform is a symbol of transition. It's a symbol of new beginning. End zones, neutral zones, and new beginnings. It's a picture not only of people dying to their past and living a new life, it is also a prophetic foreshadowing of their future. Because the Scripture says, if I am buried with Him in water baptism, I will also be raised with Him in resurrection. You may think it's a fairy tale, friend. But one day, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And because I have been buried with Him in baptism is proof that I will also be raised with Him in resurrection. (laughs) Baptism is so powerful. 
I want the candidates that are going to be baptized in water this morning. I'm just about to have you give God one big praise because that's everybody. But I want to lead us in a prayer today of commitment to Christ. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to join North Place Church. I'm just asking you to give Jesus a chance to show Himself to you the way He's shown Himself to these 16 people and 35 more that happened in next service and on and on. Because I just I sense a sweet presence of God's presence here. Sweet revelation of His presence. If you don't know Christ, you're away from God. You know what? The greatest gift you could give these people is to say that, that you came to faith on the day they were baptized in water. And what better new beginning than to commit your life to Christ right now, right now. I want you to pray this prayer with me as a congregation. Can you do that right now? Would you say this with me, dear Jesus? Forgive me. I've sinned. I've failed you. i failed myself. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Today I understand. You took my place. You died for me. I feel your love. I feel your grace. Come into my heart. I confess with my mouth you are Lord. I believe in my heart you are raised from the dead. Today I surrender. I may not be perfect, but I will be forgiven because of your grace. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.